Hello there, everyone. Uh, welcome to the weekly chat with myself and my mate, Ralph Hebgen, who was an equity research uh, analyst for over 20 years and someone who I have worked with and known for over 20 years. Um, we're going to be talking uh, about three things, three things that emerged from the news this week. Um, first of all, um, China and Taiwan and how likely an invasion could be. Secondly, the prospects for UK supermarkets as they seem to have surprised on the upside with their Christmas performances. And thirdly, um, the financial sector, uh, namely um, the consequences of a lack of M&A activity and what accountant EY could do with a $2.5 billion war chest. So there we go. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So, Ralph, let's start talking about China-Taiwan. Now, the thing is, is that obviously this week we have seen um, defence agreements being signed between the US and Japan, the UK and Japan. Um, I mean, there have been lots of uh, there's been lots of tension build up um, for for quite some time now, but obviously it's intensified since the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, so. You know, do you, one on the one hand, you know, it is understandable that um, that those in Taiwan are being increasingly concerned. Those within the sort of Asia Pacific region as well are being concerned. But you know, how likely do you think it is? Well, this is of course a very difficult question to answer. But in, in, in general, first of all, the wider uh, framework is of course exactly as you as you characterized it. China yeah. has for a long time prepared itself to become the hegemonial force in the Southeast, uh, Southeastern, uh, Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. America has for a very long time um, implemented a strategy of diplomatic ambivalence. They weren't really clear on which side they were going to come down on, mm -hmm. and that was deliberate. Recently, yeah. they have changed this ambivalence and have become a lot more clear and vociferous on, on the side of the outcome that if China were to invade Taiwan, they would actually not stand by idly. They would actually support uh, a military opposition. Mm. And of course, this is what we are seeing now with the US-Japanese defense agreement, and also there were some others uh, from Europe, the UK defense agreement. So I was wondering recently, how likely actually is it that China wanted to invade Taiwan? How imminent might this be? Would there be any early indicators, any warning signs that of, of an impending invasion? And in fact, I can sort of cut to the end of what I'm going to say, and I'm going to say that I do not believe it is likely to happen this year, or perhaps even within the space of two years. Now, that might provide very little comfort, because it is possible, surely, to be uh, happening within the next, let's say, invent a number five years or 10 years. Mm. But I do not believe that it is short term, if short term means this year or next. And the reason why I say that is that China wouldn't be able to just simply invade Taiwan. This is actually quite a large and extended and complicated operation if it were to happen. Uh, for one thing, they would have to start stockpiling ammunition, 
mass generate, uh, mass manufacture ammunition, um, missiles, air-to-air -air missiles, uh, anti-ground missiles, things like that, and any ramp up in production of that um, ammunition at a capacity that would be required would be visible to observers outside. There are signs that China is ramping up uh, production, but these signs are as yet uh, very minor. And the indications, as far as I can see from the research that I've done, are that this is not on a scale which would allow an invasion this year or in the next two years. So that's point number one. Point number two is they would need to insulate their economy from uh, the outer world. So, and, 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 and that would mean um, more stringent cross-border capital controls of a, a nature of, first of all, to freeze any foreign assets which are held within China, and second, repatriate any assets which China holds outside. And this is, of course, obvious why this would need to be done, because well, not that China would have needed to see the lesson from the Ukraine to know this. Uh, it, it knows full well that if it invades the Taiwan, then Europe and the free world would retaliate with uh, sanctions uh, of, of a nature which we have now seen highlighted uh, in the Ukrainian war. So, if anything, Putin's invasion of the Ukraine has driven home, I think, in China, the clear conviction that it would need to insulate its economy against uh, any such sanctions which Europe, Europe plus the free world would be sure to implement. And that would mean that it would need to repatriate all its assets from, from outside of China. And that has definitely not happened. Mm. Then there is a third thing, which... Um, which relates to the military, the PLL, the, the, the PLA. And that is that they would need to stop any demobilization, which is, uh, which, which is happening just in the normal course of events. So all demob activities from the PLA would need to be stopped. Um, key personnel, military, and also key Chinese functionaries, elite functionaries, would have travel impositions. Um, and again, that hasn't happened. So there is a further list of minor points, which I, which I will not, not mention. But the, 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 the list is long. I've mentioned three major categories. None of them have um, ha have happened in, in a major way. So I don't believe that we are seeing the early indicators which we would need to see if an invasion was imminent. And again, imminent means this year or next. Fair enough. Very interesting stuff because I think, you know, obviously lots of people are getting nervous, but I think uh, you make some very good points there. And yeah, so um Obviously, we're not saying that it wouldn't ever happen, um, but like you say, a lot of things would need for it to happen. It needs to be more than, you know, saber rattling, which is basically going on at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move on to the second uh, topic uh, conversation today: um, supermarkets. Now, the thing is, <laughs> is that uh, obviously the whole retail sector has been on tenterhooks at the end of last year. 
um obviously cost of living crisis we we've been hearing a lot about the uh you know rising um rising inflation um all these kinds of problems at energy crisis all this all this kind of stuff um and everyone from within i'd say you know retailing and actually the leisure sector so including things like you know restaurants and pubs and that sort of thing everyone's been panicking about christmas because um the final quarter for retailers um is known as the golden quarter um this is the one where they make most of their money for the for the year um it's been disrupted for the last few years and so therefore this year is is you know it's always important but this year has been particularly important um and we've seen that we've seen the battle um uh in the supermarkets in the lead up um, I remember last year there was talk in Sainsbury's they were allocating I've forgotten how much it was though it was a huge amount of money um, was it 500 million quid I've forgotten but anyway it was a lot of money that they were using to try to keep costs down um, and then you've got obviously the discounters Lidl and Aldi um, doing particularly well but anyway in the at the end of the day they all most of them did pretty well so you had um tesco's did very well um sainsbury's did very well they had like one of the best trading days they've ever had lidl aldi also did very well you know and it does kind of make you think well you know is this leaving behind the likes of waitrose because i think you know the the, the reason for going to waitrose now is I'd say diminishing uh, potentially, you know, and you do wonder whether Waitrose is actually going to do anything because it seems to me that since Dame Sharon White came in um, to a, a very troubled, um, uh, you know, John Lewis and partners and, you know, Waitrose, she has done a lot of, well, she did a lot of, you know, hacking um, initially, but then there was a lot of uh, things going on with regard to, um, you know, little ideas, but they were all seem to be at the periphery of the business. And I've been saying for a long time now that, you know, it seems to me that she's not actually doing anything with the heart of the business, you know, actually doing, you know, doing something with the supermarkets, doing something with, with, um, with, with John Lewis, not really, you know, they talked about things like um, moving into becoming real estate. So becoming landlords, you know, buying up properties and, and that kind of thing, but that's all round the edges. So, um, so anyway, so the, the, the main, the main um, sort of upshot of all that is most of the t um, supermarkets have done better than expectations. Um, Waitrose, I would say, you know, is it, it stands out from the from the fact that that there's less reason to go mm -hmm. there i think now and it needs to do something drastic i think you know in its core business in order to pick up but i think generally speak you know if we take take waitrose aside um the fact that we've seen a better than expected performance of um uk supermarkets generally would suggest that actually things aren't as bad as everyone's saying. Yeah. And what does that mean for supermarkets going forward? I mean, I would say maybe it's going to be a bit subdued post-Christmas initially because it always is because people feel like suddenly, you know, the lack of money in their accounts, et cetera, is, is particular, uh, felt particularly acutely in January. Mm -hmm. um, 
but yeah, what well, I mean, what do you think, Ralph? Do you think that you know, what do you think of the prospects um, for supermarkets? Um, you know, for this year, for instance. Well, yes. I mean, again, it needs to be <clears throat> put into a wider framework, and the, mm. with that wider framework is, of course, inflation. And just one thing which I wanted to pick out here is that um, prices for gasoline at the filling stations has also dropped. Uh, relative to its peak, which we saw in July last year, and so clearly, it, clearly, this is not good news in itself. Inflation mm. is crippling. There is no question about it. But the actual situation of household incomes, I think, in the country, is a little bit better than absolute catastrophe. Mm. And and I'm smiling because, yes, it is absolute catastrophe, which is the benchmark against which we are increasingly needs to measure mm. uh, reality. Um, but anything which isn't as bad as that is actually better. And so that is, I think, what is happening. I mean, inflation is forecast now to tail off. Uh, we haven't quite seen the turning point yet, I would argue, but the turning point is in light of sight. I, I think next month might actually be the peak of uh, inflationary pressures, which we are likely to see. Mm -hmm. And then from there onwards, it's going to come down. Just last um, week, of course, we mentioned that uh, most observers still see two possible uh, rate increases coming in interest rates. So mm. the pressure on mortgage rates is still going to go up, which mm. is a notable expense item in most people's household P&A, P&L. But at the same time, also we see fixed rate mortgage uh, deals coming up now, which are quite reduced uh, to where they they, they could have been expected to be. And that's a direct consequence of house prices falling in the UK and banks scrambling scrambling for business in terms of mortgages, mm. uh, which, which, which they can sell. Mm. So the pressures on household incomes, I don't think are quite as severe as many will have had reason to expect. And because of that, I think there is slightly more money available for people to well, buy food. Hmm. That is the reason, I think, why the mid-market supermarket um, subsector, the, the Tesco's and Aldi's of this, uh, no, the, that's a German one, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, the Tesco's and um, uh, Sainsbury's of this hmm. world, and Asda's, that's what I wanted to say, mm -hmm. Asda of this world, have actually done better than I would ever have expected them mm. to do. It mm. is not surprising that the discounters, Aldi, now it is correct, Aldi mm. and Lidl have done very well, but it's that mid-segment of the market which has done well. And, mm. and, and so I think that's, that's why I think uh, th th this has happened, if you put it into the wider context of the household P&L. Quick word on Waitrose, yes, I would agree. Waitrose is probably in a tight spot because on the one hand, it caters for a market of the more aff of more affluent people, who of course also have now become more price conscious. Mm -hmm. And second, I would argue its direct competitor is MS Food. Mm. And I've just been there just yesterday, and I must say the prices there are much better, and mm. the food quality is at par with that mm. which I see at Waitrose. Mm. So I think it's not just that Waitrose uh, is probably 
now now losing some of its clientele i would actually suggest it is lose, losing it to uh, marks and spencer's food hmm. it's interesting though isn't it really i mean i think i mean you're you're a waitrose shopper though aren't you because i mean you've got it that's like it's yeah. literally next door to where you are isn't it yeah we have basically. a flagship shop uh, yeah. ju- just next to us yeah. yeah so um but i i've always thought with um i think so you've got your uh you know, Tesco's, um, Sainsbury's, Asda Morrison's, and Waitrose, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't go to Morrison's because there isn't one near me, and I think that's it. Tends they tend to be more in the north of England. Yeah, Asda again, not near me, so I don't really go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think with with the thing is, you know, if you look at say the more expensive um, grocers. I would say, if you look at what's the difference, why would you go to M&S or why would you go to Waitrose? I mean, I think, first of all, people would perceive that there is a superior quality. Um, you know, maybe you buy fruit and veg and it will last longer. You know, if you buy it from, because I find this, you know, if you buy it from, say, M, uh, M, I say buy it from M&S because literally about, I'd say, 100 metres from where I live here, there is an M&S. So sometimes I, you know, will get the odds, um, especially, you know, fruit and veg, for instance. I know that they will last longer than, say, if I go to Aldi, which is in the other direction. That's great, Aldi. The prices are great. It's got the stuff. But, you know, the broccoli's a bit rubbery, you know, that kind of thing. And it gets, you know, it doesn't last as long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of think that with, for a lot of people with, with, um, Waitrose people will go to Waitrose for like a weekly shop right because it has you know it has everything mm-hmm. but I I went I went there recently I haven't been for ages and I went there and I thought you know I went there the other day and I thought I was only in there because I happened to be close to it and we needed a few bits and I thought why would you come in here and not go to Sainsbury's for instance because yeah. it's basically all the same stuff and, you know, there's a few things that are kind of Waitrose, you know, that are Waitrose. But most of it is very much, it's the same, you know, the same beans, the same ketchup, the same, you know, all that all that kind of stuff. Whereas with, <laughs> Wait, uh, with M&S, I think people go in there because they think, oh, we need a few sort of, I don't know, meals for two or meals for one or i want a nice dessert or i want the you know and you kind of go in there for that there's something to go in there for um whereas i think waitrose you don't kind of go i must go to waitrose for this i i don't think but i don't know do you am i am i being unfair there no i don't really know i'm not that much of an expert on 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 supermarkets because as you rightly say i probably go to waitrose because Mm. it's just here and it's easy for me to get there and it's a Mm. flagship shop so i'm likely to find anything i want there actually your your Um, waitrose is very good actually well it's it's just a big shop you know um and um I can also go to Tesco's and I have to say that quality which I find there is also good. Yeah. So I, I talked earlier about the mid-market segment. In, yeah. in terms of food quality, it's not necessarily visible to me. No. I mean, some of it may be, but the, my, my Tesco's has a has a limited offer offer on, on, on bakery goods, mm. whereas the Waitrose has a fantastic bakery. Mm. Yeah, but that may just be that my Tesco's isn't, isn't that good. Mm. in that regard and if mm. you go to a bigger tesco's you have a fantastic yeah, right, so I, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. really know and the mns um 
food one, I, I just think the quality there is excellent. And as you say, they do a good deal. They, they mm. do, do a, like a like a di- dinner deal for two or something mm. for 15 quid or whatever it is. Mm. And, <laughs> and and so this is what we just had yesterday. Mm. And and but but there, there's a serious point here, which is of course that in offering that type of deal, that makes a retailer attractive Mm. and that makes a supermarket attractive Mm. in the very tightly competitive world of supermarkets where you where you can compete visibly or meaningfully on price which is discounters little and aldi Mm. but then the the other thing you need to compete on is range of selection what what can you get there and second and and third of course um quality of food mm. but that is where it gets very subjective as well of course yeah, you know, you, yeah. you mentioned the broccoli is a bit rubbery well maybe that's just your unsophisticated taste uh, and uh, i don't know i couldn't <laughs> wish to say anything in this yeah, regard yeah, of course yeah. you know no but but seriously again if I, if I go to our waitress shop here you have this this wine cabinet, which is a sort of like a, a like a, a lofty space where, with a with a hermetically sealed door, and you go in, and then you have all this unbelievable wine, Rothschilds 1963 for 250 quid or something. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I'm making this up. I'm not yeah. a wine drinker, yeah. and um, and so you have that. So clearly, there is a clientele there. There is a market for this. Mm. Uh, and they might actually go to the Waitrose flagship shop for that, but but it's 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 getting very sort of we're scraping at the bottom of the barrel here mm. because if you're a wine connoisseur of that quality, you you surely you will have your uh, specific um, wine shops which which, mm. which which cater to your taste. Mm. So in the end, yeah, I I I'm back at where I was at the beginning of my commentary. I find it comforting that the mid. Um, the mid 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 sector uh, um, brands like Tesco, uh, Asda, etc., have done well mm. because mm. to me that indicates that house pressures on household income are possibly more muted than we would have expected. Mm. Yes, interesting. So yeah, <coughs> I think yeah. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, <laughs> but at least they've got a good Christmas. <laughs> as a launch pad i guess into into this into 2023 right so let's talk about the next um subject is about the financial sector quite a lot of interesting stuff going on on in here um and so for investment banks for instance we've been hearing particularly uh, i'd say over the last six months or so um how uh, a lack of deals a lack of m&a so mergers and acquisition, a lack of um, IPOs, uh, initial public offerings, you know, all those kinds of things, um, they've dried up. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that for investment banks, this is what earns them the real money um, because fees from trading are fine, but they are very, it's very, very narrow margin uh, and you need a lot of volume there. And, um, but, you know, the actual advisory fees are very fat. Um, and that is what makes up a, a vast majority um, of what many investment banks have. So um, so we heard from some brokers last year, like, I mean, Berenberg was one of them that was that was um, talking about cutting staff. And then we had some of the other ones. So I think, I mean, Numis and, and um, 
uh, Peel Hunt, for instance, you know, having having a, a tough time. Um, and, you know, so and then this week we saw that Goldman Sachs decided that they're going to cut uh, 3000 staff. Now, the thing is, is that Goldman Sachs is known as a place which is not shy of culling uh, people. Um, there is a certain, I, you know, I believe that there is a certain percentage of, um, um, of performers um, in, in, uh, in Goldman uh, Sachs where they, they will cull the lowest performers. Um, although you think, well, actually a lot of places will do that, but I think that Goldman Sachs is well known is more, you know, has a reputation for it. Um, and uh, yeah, and so obviously they're they're going to be doing that because the, the deal flow has dried up. Um, but yeah, so um, so you know that has been happening across the board. Um, but yeah, I mean, first of all, um, what, what do you think? What do you think about that, Ralph? Well, yeah, I mean that, that that's almost the the opposite indication of what I just said earlier. I mean, mm. what, what I said earlier is that pressures on household P and Ls were perhaps more muted. Mm. That to me is an indication that, of course, we're not living in rosy days. We mm. are living at a time where we are moving into recession. We are in a recession already. Um, and and obviously, the world economy is 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 not in for a few. Um, high growth uh, years in 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 the near mm. future, mm. and that is always felt <clears throat> early in the investment banking sector. Mm. And the reason for that is actually the uh, compensation structure which most investment banks have, which mm. is low uh, basic salary and a high potentially high variable well, you, salary on you, top. You say low. Basically, I mean, the, 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 low, the salary is still pretty good, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, low, low, low relative to the overall package. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just yeah. get that sorted. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't know, of course, but I heard I heard this. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but uh, it is still true. I mean, low relative to the overall package. So you have a uh, certain basic salary and then you have a potentially high variable salary which is uh, meted out in terms of bonus mm. now the the idea here is of course that for investment banks that makes the biggest expense item in the pnl which is expenses for salaries for staff um naturally sort of geared towards the economic activity which they see. If there's less economic activity in terms of M&A, you pay less bonuses and that is basically then a good thing. Once you get to having to suck people, it means that even the basic salaries which you pay out are felt as too high an expense item to compensate uh, for the lack of economic activity. And that is what we see. And you, you, you mentioned Goldman Sachs because it was in the news, but I would agree uh, most, if not all, uh, investment banks <coughs> and broker houses in, in the city of London and, and, of course, on Wall Street act uh, or, or, or set up in, in this yeah. way. So it doesn't surprise me. It is an indication of... Uh, of 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 thin time, <laughs> you, you you're clearly being sick here. <laughs> no, <I'm> just <laughs> cough, cough. Anyway, yeah, it's making me sick. Mm. This, the the overall economic yeah um, doldrums yeah. we're in. So um, where was I? 
So I'm not yeah, so, surprised yeah. to see that it is an indicator of weak overall uh, economic activity, and it links up very interestingly with the part of the financial in financial services industry, which is not actually a bank itself, investment bank, mm. but the accountants, which um, s appear to have had much better time and have mm. been able to build a war chest. Actually, yes, on, on that subject then. I mean, um, like you say, with um, investment banks, so it's not just investment banks that suffer, it's the whole kind of, you know, food chain. So you've got the advisors on the deals and things. And mm. <clears throat> there was a very um, interesting, uh, you know, article um, that, that was out, you know, this week was talking about US lawyers' billable hours um have um have hit their yeah. lowest point since you know the financial crisis and um and i think that you know this is this is interesting because again this is just a more evidence of um it's more it's more evidence of a lack of activity basically it's not just it's not just bosses trying to cut the bonus pool it's it's actually is a real thing mm -hmm. um but in addition to that um, which is, you know, what you were referring to earlier, is that um, we there was some more um, interesting news flow that was talking about EY, mm -hmm. uh, the you know one of the big four accountants. Um, they're talking about you know splitting up their auditing and consulting business, you know, consultancy businesses, float doing an IPO, and then using the money, some of the money from the IPO, and they're saying two point five billion dollars as a war chest to buy other stuff. Now, <laughs> I particularly would say on this that um, some specialist firms, like let's say some uh, M&A boutiques, for instance, who've not seen much work over the last year or so, they could become very attractive targets for an EY consultancy who wants to grow a business where you can have lots of services mm -hmm. under one roof. Yeah. And I would I would suggest that a lot of um, uh, companies who are specialist in in their area um, may be vulnerable um, to takeover because uh, especially ones that have suffered because of the lack of activity. Um, so yeah, so it could be specialist law firms, um, say M and A boutiques, uh, you know, advisory boutiques, you know, all that kind of stuff um, could could be interesting. And from an EY point of view. It would be great because they could go in, in theory, you'd think that they could go into a, a client, do some consultancy, and then the client says, well, actually, we might need to do this and this in the future. Mm -hmm. And then EY says, well, you know, well, let's bring in our, our uh, legal experts. We bought them last year. You know, they are specialists in this area. Here you go. And then suddenly all this cross-selling opportunity just explodes you know, in a good way. So, um, so anyway, so I think it's, it's quite interesting um, the way that the deals, you know, the, the lack of deal flow has led to certain things happening, but ultimately it may mean that there is some kind of consolidation within the financial sector or, yeah. you know, and the financial services sector. Indeed. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I find this actually quite, quite interesting. Um, I mean, if, if you wanted to build a, large group 
uh, with all financial services under one roof, it, which is what you sort of indicated. Um, and, and now is the time to do it. Hmm. isn't it because there are lots of m&a boutiques there are lots of well maybe not lots of but there are some law firms which are suffering from expense structures that they are not able to adjust in time mm -hmm. uh, to lack of or reduced uh, economic activity and they might find it very interesting to sell themselves hmm. because it it may not actually change anything much for them they would just be owned by a larger group yeah um whereas the larger group would be able in time when economic recovery uh, activity returns to offer their clients a easier and more comprehensive service product where yeah. indeed all the various or all the or the various steps in the service chain are available under one roof. Mm. They would also purchase a client roaster, so to speak, mm. um, and uh, hence benefit from the purchase in this way. And, and finally, of course, and this is nothing new, but if you are, for example, Ernst and Young, then what what whatever measure you have that is equivalent to return on equity will of course suffer from high uh, amounts of excess cash mm. if you're just generating cash which doesn't do anything for your business rather than sitting on your balance sheet that's not an efficient way of using cash mm. you have to do something which turns this 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 cash on the balance sheet into earnings generating assets hmm. which of course means you 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 can buy some some other companies hmm. um and so there seems to be something here which uh, would i think potentially um stimulate the building of 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 larger scale uh, financial conglomerates mm. be, be, because there's yeah. excess cash available mm -hmm. uh, and some of the um, smaller companies may still may may feel the the pinch so to speak in mm. in the pnl from the they reduced would, economic i would activity. say that they want to feel the warm embrace of oh, a larger entity oh my goodness did, did... <laughs> Is that what Ian Y was saying in his PR literature? No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds very good. <laughs> like to play. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're still one month away from uh, uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, yeah, I don't know why I brought that up. It's always talk about warm embrace, which to be, to be fair, I did bring up, didn't I? I mean, you, didn't, you, did. you didn't. You did not elicit. I, I did not uh, at all. Statement, no. in, in no way did I do this. However, I, now that it has been put out there, <laughs> I like very much the idea of a warm embrace because it would mean that I could actually pay less in electricity costs, uh, which are crippling. Uh, I like it, yeah. Hence very, my hats, by yeah, the way. Exactly. Very like, good. Well, like, I've got this is my teddy bear fleece uh, that I've got on at the moment. It's Problem in living this thing. Why do you call it teddy bear? I shudder to ask. Well, no, it's ask. A, well, because it's the, the <laughs> um, uh, material of a teddy bear. 
So don't worry, no teddy bears were killed in the uh, making you know, of in, this in, in the making of this garment. Okay, uh, <laughs> so don't worry about that. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's quite. I still find myself sort of stroking stroking it from time to time. But anyway, um, anyway, and that, this is, we have to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is that, is that the time? Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I think we better we better stop it on yeah, there. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but anyway, um, look, um, thank you very much as <laughs> always um, for a, a, a very entertaining <laughs> chat about some of the themes for this week um so anyway have a have a great weekend uh, and i hope everyone watching or listening to this uh has it has a great whatever you are doing at this time and uh we'll be back again soon many Excellent. thanks thanks guys for listening bye <laughs>